more I learn later, the more I learn how lucky I fortunate I was to have. Hi, welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Yeah, I think... um. Having a vision, you know, for yourself. I mean, I, I, the learn the more I learn later, the more I learn how lucky I fortunate I was to have uh, some people in my life that forced me to write things down at an early age and and set some goals early. And that had to do with with a neighbor of mine who got a scholarship uh, in basketball, who was a good friend of Judson family, and he was a coach. And you know, having a lot of people in the community that were keeping me on the straight and narrow but also inspiring me to say, you know, write this down, you can do it. Look at Robbie, look at these other kids and, you know, showing me some examples around the, you know, the town where it can be done. And, you know, the, the whole idea of having a vision and knowing where you're going and having an accountability where you can look back to is how NCSA grew. I mean, when we were, we, I started in 2000, I had a goal to get it to a $1.5 million company in five years. Uh, I put together a plan in 18 months, we were already at 2 million. So we already, we figured, you know, the idea of being smart enough too, is like, we better make some new goals because we already get those. And yeah, reset. And the the longer I I live, the more I realize that setting new goals, like one, a buddy of mine asked me, did you ever think you'd be in Manhattan beach, uh, living, you know, I, you know, on the beach surfing every day when you were in, you know, grade school or high school. I'm like, I I didn't know this life existed. My goal was to to get a college education, play sports, live in Chicago for the rest of my life, and and you know maybe uh, you know have some success locally there. I I didn't know there was anything beyond that. So the idea of reassessing where you're at and then pivoting and setting new goals has really been the kind of next level of of helping my success from living downtown in Chicago, being CEO and founder of a company to now. I'm more of an investor and I'm at the board level. I, I sit on the board of Guaranteed Rate Mortgage, my buddy's company. I'm active in YPO and EO, and I'm also doing a bunch of things with my old university at Vanderbilt, helping kids with internships and jobs. So I, I'm continuing my passion and continuing learning to grow in different capacities now. And and most of all, being a, a husband and a father, I, got, you know, I have kids that are 12, 13 and 14 years old, seventh grade, and getting them to write out their goals now is my biggest challenge. Right. So are, are your parents still alive? My mom's still alive. My dad passed a couple of years ago and uh, my mom lives in, uh, in Wilmington, Delaware. She just, she's turning 80 this year. So a uh, big okay. thing for me is to try to help her live out some bucket list items uh, while she's still in pretty good health. And I have a sister that lives out in Delaware too, or in Pennsylvania. I really appreciate this as, as you talk about, you know, when you're a Midwest kid, like, you know, about the fresh coast, that's like Michigan yeah. right? and that's not Manhattan beach, right? Like that is yeah. uh, it's not Cali. In fact, that thing will freeze over in the winter. Yeah. So like, it's we, a yeah. very different feel. And then having never been on a plane till you hit 18 and you've got these yeah. options, right? I mean, yeah. 
that's a that's a huge factor. Was was there a time? Was there a moment? So the show is winners find a way, right? And and I love the quote by Chris McChesney from the Four Disciplines of Execution, right? John Kevy and McChesney wrote this book, really good book. Winners, when shown data that they are losing, find a way to win, right? So right. my whole life, I've been around people like yourself, you know, pro athletes. Obviously, I mean, you run into failure constantly, and right. People are like up against it. I love this idea of failure recovery, right? <laughs> like yeah. It's, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's huge. But it's like, so what walk us through one of those times where you were up against it and thinking, like, hey, I don't I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get through this thing. Like everyone's counting me out, down but not out, and you got yourself back on the horse. I mean, I know there's probably a number of those that you probably had in your life, but can you think of one that you can walk us through? Well, the whole idea of failing fast. I mean from the time that we've had a, a system in place at NCSA where we were having the college, uh, our scouts were calling student athletes uh, directly. And then we switched the system where we had a whole group where we had another division of people that called at set meetings. We, t- we did it for a week where we had, uh, we went from having appointment setters for the athletes and then having the scouts actually meet the families to saying just have the scouts call the families and we went to that and within two or three weeks we our production went down by about 50 percent and we were at a point where the money was tight and i had to write a check for a hundred thousand dollars to cover payroll because we didn't have enough money come in where we were like on the the verge of collapsing and and to be able to switch back and correct that immediately before it was too late I mean, that is a failure recovery, which could have put the the business underneath, uh, put it under. We also had a thing where we had a, you know, early in the company when we had a database that we were putting together where we had a, a memory leak that caused us to lose our data. And for us to scramble and literally we worked 24 hours a day recouping and gathering back all these email addresses to all these college coaches to keep the integrity of the database. Bottom line of that is, is when, you know, identifying what it is and putting a, a strategy together and then putting in the time and the work to correct it, whether it be uh, putting the time and work in improving my bench press and my 40 time back from high school, yeah. you know, the bottom line is identify what, where your weakness is and put a plan together to be in the category of what you need to be, to be successful. I mean, there, I mean, those, those things come up, you know, all the time and it's just a matter of, of looking at it as an opportunity to get better. And we embrace those failures and having a team around you that wants to help. Because if you have the right team around you, if there's something that goes wrong, other people will cu- step in and help us when a department goes down or when a, a you know, when a teammate falls, we help them get back up. And that's a part of, that's part of culture, a culture of it's okay to fail because that's how you grow. It's the same thing like when you're lifting weights. If you lift weights all day long and you don't go to failure where your muscles break down and you're never going to get stronger. That's right. Same thing. It's the exact same thing as the human body. Yeah. The over- overload principle. That's it, man. Yeah. And yeah. no, and I, I think, you know, I'm, I'll tell you what I see a lot. I see a lot of people say, Hey, we got a great team. We got a great team, Chris. And then something like this happens where you all of a sudden it's fourth and goal. It's your own nine. And you got to like, or it's fourth and you know, five on your own nine. And you've got to make this play to stay in the game, right? You're, or the game is over. And, you know, yeah, guys, oh, well, you know, I'm clocking out. Like, I'm out. Like, no urgency, no stepping up for the team. And that's when, you know, I see two things. I see, one, the teams that really come together 
in those scenarios, like you've seen with championship teams who overcome what a bond is formed when you go through hard things together and vice versa happens where, Hey, we refuse to go through hard things and find out which team members don't really want to be a part of the team. And I'm always shocked by people telling me, you know, Hey, we want to have a great team. And I'm like, Oh, tell me how hard you're working and how much effort you're putting into getting that team. Like, oh, well, we hire anyone with a pulse, right? (laughs) I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, how do you think you're getting the best team members? Think about these universities, because you you touched on this. They sent a letter to you, but they sent a letter to 500 other athletes narrowing this down to to the 30 they're going to offer something to, right? Or 5,000 other athletes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a big number, right? (laughs) Like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. When you get the offer, you're one of 10% or something, right? right? Or 5%. Yeah. So, like, and uh, by the way, all of them, are accredited, have done something. Some coach thinks they're worth something. So all 5,000 could be viable until we get a little deeper into it. But just on paper and on statistics, they're quote unquote viable to that staff. Mm -hmm. And so you're not up against just John Q public. You're under, you're up against people that have already done something. Colleges recruit the world now, literally. You know, it's not, you're not just, if you're best in your conference or your county or your state, you know, that's, that really is not the indicator of whether you're probably going to have college success. There's lots of kids and, you know, you could be a second teamer in a, a big school in California and be the top, one of the top five kids in the country, literally, depending on their position. But I, I really kind of go back to culture. I think Sue Enquist, who was the coach at UCLA, won 10 yes. national titles as a softball coach, yes. who's a very dear friend of mine, who have, I, who's influenced me a lot. You know, I literally just had a communication with her yesterday. She's just so positive, but she's ingrained in me her, her theory of, and, and I think a lot of, she's a student of John Wooden. Yes. John Wooden was, uh, was the basketball coach while, and she he was influential at UCLA while she was there. But it goes, I don't know if this is Coach Wooden or Coach Enquist, but or a combination of the two, but the five characteristics of the championship team is they know where they're going. They have a vision. That coach mm-hmm. paints the vision of where we're going. We're going to be champions. They know how they're going to get there. What you know? What are they going to do in terms of work ethic? How are they going to work? How they're going to work together? What offense, defense? They have a strategy. They everyone knows their position. What's their job? Do your job on your team. Don't try to do more than your job. If you know, if you're an offensive guard. Don't try to be a wide receiver. If you're, you know, if you're a center, if you're in there to, to get rebounds and block shots, don't be jacking up threes. You know, those are things. Know your job, and making it a safe place to fail, where you know if you do fail, everyone has your back. And the last thing is have fun. And if you do those five things, you're going to have something special. And if you hold each other accountable, and like just like when you see everybody together when they win the championship and they get together, they love each other. It forms a bond. There's love there. And, and when you want to work harder for your teammate than you want to work for yourself, that's when greatness is achieved. I love that. I, I say those five things are, you know, any organization can understand that. Any organization is going and can apply those five things. I have been very impressed with Sue. I actually did the John Wooden study of his uh, 55 lessons. I don't know if you've ever uh-huh. seen that, but Sue is a huge yeah. part of it. I felt yeah. like I have never met Sue Inkthist at all, but through that, I felt like I got to know her very well. She was very prominent in her learnings from Coach Wooden and how she applied them. She's very open about, and by the way, massive success at UCLA, UCLA softball, right? Like, I mean, it's oh. no joke, right? And yeah, she's uh, the most influential 
human in that sport. I mean, she yeah. is the she is the goods. <laughs> well, and I fun. and I think when she's I look an incredible back human to... being, and she and she's a great surfer too. <laughs> oh, is she? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So, and I think you know when I've talked about John Wooden to young athletes today, most of them haven't heard of him, and I like to remind them, you know, he was this great basketball coach. But he was a better person. Like everybody loved John Wooden as a human being, a man of humanity, a man all about helping others get better and get the best potential out of anyone who came near him. And he had a strategy for it and always willing to come alongside and help those people. And, 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 you know, for a guy who won what I think nine of 10 championships in a row, right? I think nine in a row one time, the people flew across the world to watch his practice not to watch right. games, how he right. set things up to prepare his team. And I thought that was really cool. So let's talk a couple. I got a, I got a couple of questions for you here before we go. One of the things I would ask you, uh, this one comes up quite a bit. You've had a lot of exposure, a lot of experience in, in different arenas, right? In the business arena, mm-hmm. in the sports arena, in the, in the university arena, you know, top school, top sports, top conferences, um, one of the top businesses in all of uh, Chicago area. And so, and now you're with, you know, still have been working closely with Endeavor, one of the top programs in, in the world, right? Top groups. So you've won many games. What's the best battle that you conquered in your lifetime? You know, I think the battle of having enough confidence to to start my own company. I think I never started, I never went to college thinking I was going to start a company and be an entrepreneur. I went to college thinking I was going to find my passion in sports, maybe be involved. I, I started to go pre-med and I, I thought about going into physical therapy so that yeah, I can help athletes become, you know, you know, rehab themselves if they're injured. So I wanted to be, I know I wanted to be around sports. And it wasn't until I went through the human development program at Vanderbilt where I started learning about the consulting side of the world, where I did sales and management consulting uh, through my internships. And I started learning about how I could be a kind of a, a coach in the business world where I could kind of use this, you know, and actually was my senior thesis with coaching reminders for improved motivation. I uh, was what I did my thesis on. And so I, when I started to see how the sports world and how the business world are intertwined in certain ways, and I think the best companies are the ones that take the best of the sports concepts and apply them. I was able to kind of know my passion was in sports, but then when I found out that there was still this big chasm of opportunity to help athletes get linked up with colleges, when I'd seen all these great kids continuously, even after I'd gone, I figured, you know, the problem was still there. Great kids were getting passed up every year after I graduated. And I'm like, wait yep. a minute, I was co- I went back to my old high school. I was volunteer coaching with the football kids. And I still saw, you know, four, five, six years after I went through the process, <laughs> even with new technology and, you know, there were still kids, great kids were getting missed. And as I learned more about it, I started working with a, a company that was helping kids get scholarships uh, called College Prospects of America as kind of a part-time thing. And and I was putting, res- and when they would put a resume together on the athlete and they'd send it out to the college coaches and we'd, families would cross their fingers and hope that uh, the response came back. And, and it actually worked to some degree. And I said, wait a minute, sure. if, this, if this thing works, you know, I started seeing opportunity that no one had really figured out how to best help these athletes. And after working with that company for a while, I said, wait a minute, there's a better way. The internet's coming up. There's wind, there's fax machines, there's computers. Yeah. I said, there's gotta be a better way. So I started collecting data and I started helping my local kids out uh, through just email. And everyone said, oh, who's gonna look at email? 
I said, well, mm. I just sent it out to 55 coaches and 25 responded within a half hour. That's what I think works pretty good. And next yeah, thing you know, power I, speed. I, so we started being able to really uh, put a system that was efficient together where families could start to evaluate realistically what level they could play at. We could target coaches and not just head the head coach. You send a letter to Mike Shashevsky and you think he's going to, you know, open it up and write you back. No, but you send it to the assistant coach and the, you know, one of the assistant coaches that's in charge of recruiting your area. And now we started really finding out who were the recruiters for certain areas and certain sports. Now, you know, we're working 32 different sports, 1,700, you know, 42,000 coaches that are in our database. And we're able to hone down and ask the coaches, what do you want to see athletically? What type of videotape do you want to see? What are your key performance indicators? What GPA do you need to have in? What's your ACT members? What parts of the country do you want? And we're able to collate all this and get the right information, accurate information in the right coach's hands. And then once you are able to, to, to put those together, the coaches can hit like buttons now and say, hey, I, I like Trent and I'd like, to, I'd like to see him on my campus someday. And all of a sudden Trent's parents say, oh, here's 25 coaches that want you on their campus. And all of a sudden now you're going to schools that you know have seen you, they know like you, they wouldn't be wasting their time if they didn't think that you could contribute probably or have a chance to get into school. And now we've taken the time and the, you know, all the you know, wasted time and wasted you know, trips to camps that you don't need to go to and trips to, you're going to the, you know, the, the Arizona State baseball camp to get discovered. All these parents are yeah. going to go to camp and get discovered when yeah. they have no business going to that school because they, because they might not even be recruiting a, a catcher that year. You know, you never yeah. know. You know, see, so it's really making it efficient, but also teaching the kids. It's not mom and dad's responsibility. It's not high school coach's responsibility. It's your responsibility. And if we teach the kids that they're the team captain in this, the coaches part of their scaffolding and help. Mom and dad are part of their help. But the college coaches aren't recruiting mom and dad. College right. coaches are recruiting student athletes. And once a student athlete knows that if I'm going to invest $100,000 in Trent to come to my university, I want to look him in the eye. I want to shake his hand. I want to know, is he committed to my university and my vision? And is he committed to going to class and getting in the weight room and not doing knucklehead things outside of sports and school to stay in school and do the right things and be a good leader and be a good representative of my program? Love that. All right. So let's talk um, quickly about you've seen, you know, all this development, human development from even the university when you learn learned early. You have a great insight from building this culture, building team members. When you look at somebody, right, and what do you see in their mirror that everyone else might not have look in the mirror at themselves? What what are they missing about themselves? Like, hey, I could be at another level or I could be, you know, this. What do you see in them that often that you find, you know, winners, champions, all this high potential yeah. sitting in there and they don't know it themselves? I think it goes back to the question I think you asked me before as far as overcoming adversity. I, yeah. I think the story of every champion is that, you know, look, look at Michael Jordan. He, you know, he got cut from yeah. a sophomore basketball team. Yeah. And I go back to my, you know, when literally I was in sixth grade, seventh grade, my father demanded I get all A's and B's or I couldn't play sports. In my seventh grade year, I got a C and he made me sit out the spring season. I couldn't play baseball in the spring because I got a C. And from that day on, I never got to see again. And, yeah. and that was overcoming adversary, adversity and teaching me that academics were a premium. And that helped me a lot. I finished fifth in my high school class. You know, when I got to Vanderbilt, 
you know, I had literally, I, you know, I was on the verge of failing out because it was, you know, I had 127 valedictorians in my freshman class, right, but I right. got to, I got tutors. You know, I went to summer school. I did everything I could. I, I mean, I never worked so hard to get a C in my life and that helped, but also that helped me to realize that chemistry 102 A and B and the biology and the, um, this, the, all the pre-med courses I was taking, uh, I think it was a little over my head and it made me realize I probably wasn't going to go pre-med. I should probably look into another major, which probably was a smart thing. So that, that, that setback helped me recalibrate my uh, vision for myself and where I wanted to go and helped me focus in on the human development program. Same thing with, you know, I had one of my good, great buddies, Carl Jordan, who was drafted by the Cowboys in the fifth round. He came back, he got cut by the Cowboys and he was an all SEC defensive tackle. And I said, wait a minute, if Car if this guy can't make it in the NFL, there's no way I'm ever going to make it. So it, it helped me focus in on my academics because I knew at that moment, even though I thought I would be an NFL player as I was recruited, I realized then I better focus on the grades because this football thing is only going to be a couple more years and then I'm going to be in the real world. Do you know Eeyore uh, Alan Young in Nashville who also played at Vanderbilt? Yeah, in fact, I've connected Alan. In fact, he's been very instrumental and we've worked together in helping getting the internship program at Vanderbilt together. He's a good friend. Awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great All right. guy. For everyone, I'm going to wrap this show. Thank you, Chris. This has just been awesome. I've always enjoyed our time together. For everyone, follow the show on YouTube Live, our Leadershipity channel. You're going to find more videos on the Leadershipity channel there. We are on Instagram and Twitter at Leadershipity. I am at Trent M. Clark. Of course, my handles are Trent M. Clark or Leadershipity on all the social media. Chris, where can they find you? You can find me at cknsa at me.com. That's my email. And you could, you know, I'm, I'm all, I, I have, you know, if you just Google Chris Krause, you can probably find me on there through LinkedIn or, and it's Chris Krause NCSA, the, I'm, you know, between Wikipedia and everything, I'm, I'm in there somewhere. You can find me. There you go. But I'm happy if someone wants to reach out to me, email me at my email is the best, cknsa at me.com. And the book, um, Athlete Leadership or, uh, is not out, but um, Athletes Wanted it can be bought through Amazon. And we have digital copies too. If you want one, I'll send you one. That's awesome. Make sure you look for our upcoming book, ebook, The Pyramid of Leadershipity. And you can also now take the assessment on The Pyramid of Leadershipity, all about accountability as a leader. And you can find that. Email me, Trent at leadershipity.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please continue listening and rate us five stars. Always, we work hard to find value delivering stories from one percenters like Chris and leaders from every episode that are going to assist you in being the best you can be. Okay, time to go to your go-to quote. What, Chris, you know, like a lot of folks got motivation in their life. Like, hey, when they're up against it, you know, you you go in and like, hey, I need to motivate my team, motivate mm -hmm. myself. We're going to put our head down and 24 hours and work straight to build all the memory of you just losing all that yeah. data in a moment's <laughs> notice. Uh, unreal, right. right? Do you have something that you go to that always kind of levels you? The thing I go to, uh, Trent, is I kind of go back to, you know, people say, what's your definition of success? And I've always looked at success is something that I that I look internally at. And my father, I, as, a, as a fifth, sixth grader playing little Pop Warner football, I'd say, Dad, how did I do? How did I do? And, you know, and I kept looking for him to say, yeah, great, son, you were great. You're great. You're great. He goes, and then he said one day, he says, Chris, he goes, you know, when you do really, really, really well, you'll know it and won't have to ask me. And I'm like, wow. And that's always stayed with me. And I'm like, from to this day on, I'm like, you know what? And then when I got to high, to high school and I had a really good career and I was in all conference and honorable mention all state and I was doing really well. And after every game, 
you know, my dad would say, son, you had a great game. You had, this, you know, you caught, you, you had 20, 20 tackles and you did this and did that. And I, and I said, oh, but I could have done better. So I kind of, you know, the standard was set at or such an early age where I was always looking to be better and not looking for that praise. And, and my dad, you know, I knew I had a good game, but I always wanted to get a better game. And, and, ha- and I think going to the point where I, I know if I did a good job because I did my best internally is all I need. And that's been something that I know if you do a great job, you won't have to ask anybody to pat you on the back. I love that. Um, I got two things for you because you, you talked about this education. One is I'll pass is, of course, John Wooden's definition of success, which I love, right? Success is a peace of mind attained only through self-satisfaction, knowing you made the effort to do the best of what you're capable of. There and I love right that. There. Yeah, man, I love that because, you know, we're, we're always, I, I think this is a big challenge. And, and my wife, you know, we're competitive by nature. We're comparing ourselves. We can get into that imposter syndrome of all the things that other people are doing. And the reality is, is that really success is measured internally. And I love that way you focused in on that because you know, if you did your best. And I think that's great. Um, as I thought about this week doing this together, Chris, I was reminded of a book I've read called The Garden of Peace. It's written by actually a Jewish rabbi. And they really describe something that's really important. You and I have spent time together in Amsterdam, um, obviously the Chicago area, and, and now, you know, Cali recently too. So I've always admired, Chris, that you really have put so much time and attention to your family. I think it's really testimony to your to the values that your parents set up for you. I was realized, uh, I saw this and I thought of you. It's called the Shalom Bayit, and it's the most important thing, a barometer of a service to God, his lifelong project, and his real test in life is peace in his own home. And man, I, I've, I've thought about all the things you've done to sacrifice. And I always know that family's been on the front of that sacrifice that you've made. And I just admire you for it, Chris. I think oh. it's awesome. Uh, you know, and I, and I, everyone I, I bring on are usually role models for me in some way. Just like, you know, as I'm working through my failure recovery, right? I'm taking these pieces from those great things I learned from Chris Krause and, and from Nick Saban. Right. And from Joe Madden and the people I've been around who have these superpowers in these different categories. And listen, you and I both know, like, we've been around great coaches that we don't love everything about. Right. Like, right, well, I don't want right. to do it that way. Right. I don't really want <laughs> right. that way in my organization. Right. But, right. like, hey, I'm in theirs and I'm going to follow and abide. Right. But Absolutely. I might do it a little differently, you know. But I really, you know, I'm trying to take that into my life and model that after yourself to really make sure that uh, my family comes first. And you model that for me every time I see you. And I'm just grateful for it. Thanks for saying that, Trent. It means a lot. And and, uh, it keeps me grounded and keeps me focused on on uh, trying to do it, you know, raise raise these kids and and teach them to a lot is given a lot is 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 expected and and, uh, keep them uh, on the on the give back culture is really, really at the forefront of what we're trying to do here. Well, I appreciate it. For everybody joining us, thank you for being on the uh, joining us at the Winners Find a Way show. For Chris, thank you for being on the show with me, as always. <laughs> Can't wait to our next uh, adventure together. Looking very much forward to that. And uh, for everybody, please, Winners Find a Way show on every Friday, 1230 Eastern, 930 a.m. Pacific. Chris, any last word? Oh, thanks for having me, Trent. God bless, and I love what you're doing. Keep on rocking and keep on spreading the love, brother. 
I'll do it, man. I'll do it. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Thank you for listening to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast. Trent, together with the leaders who shared their learning and experiences through this show, are grateful for allowing them to help and support you on your journey to becoming your best. Write a review, rate us five stars, and share this episode to your network.